What if every day you had the chance to experience more love and intimacy in your life? We're going to be sharing stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. Enjoy this podcast with Dawn Richard. Wake up to real love. Hi, everyone. This is Dawn Richard, also known as The Awakening with Dawn. And this is the Wake Up to Real Love podcast, where we share stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. I'm super excited today. I have my Clubhouse co-facilitator with me, Elsa Marley. How are you, Elsa? I'm doing so good and super excited to be here. <laughs> Yay, me too. So, so let me give you a brief introduction of Elsa. She is a life coach and trauma-informed therapist who's dedicated to seeing people journey from a life of pain to living in purpose. For almost a decade, she's empowered people in the U.S., Africa, Europe, and Asia all over the world, obviously, to heal and walk in their true identity. She focuses primarily on on clients who struggle with anxiety, depression, PTSD, gender sexual identity issues, or those that have gone through sexual abuse and are trauma. Elsa's a mom, entrepreneur, speaker, writer, and sex trafficking survivor who now advocates for those who've endured a life of abuse through sexual exploitation and human trafficking. She's on a mission to help people discover their purpose, restore their identity, and heal from past pain. Welcome, 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 you beautiful, beautiful woman. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to sharing and just kind of allowing everyone else to just experience um, some wholeness in this process. Yeah, Yeah, you have had a crazy, crazy journey. And we're going to, we're going to find out how you overcame so much stuff. Um, but first I just want to ask you, how did you overcome this crazy weather in Texas? <laughs> oh my goodness. You know, I honestly say that the grace of God preserved me because, um, I didn't get to experience what a lot of people did. My electricity was on the whole time. I had heater. Um, I got to play in the snow a little bit. The only thing, one of my neighbors you danced in the snow in I your sandals. Did, I danced <laughs> in the lady. snow. It was amazing. <laughs> it was so much fun. One of my neighbors, his pipe burst. And because we live in condos, like we had to get our water turned off. And so that was the only part that was kind of, you know, crappy. But other than that, I was, I had a blast. So yeah. <laughs> and, and your son too. Yes, he enjoyed it. He loved eating snow with me. So we eat snow every day. So it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, kids are like, woo, this is fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and adults like me, I was shoveling, I was shoveling my car out for two hours the other day. I was like, this is not fun. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even have to go out to do anything. So I was like, oh, let's play in the snow for a little bit, go back inside, go take a nap and whatever. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you have this really incredible story, and I know we've been co-facilitating um, this group uh, on Clubhouse, and I really appreciate um, the beautiful work that you're doing and holding space and creating this um, beautiful, beautiful rooms of healing, you know, because of all that you have survived. And, and I think, I think what's really amazing is that, you know, I have heard so many stories of people that have gone through terrible, terrible things. And you think, how did, how do you survive? How did they survive? How did you survive? And so, you know, part of why I wanted to do this podcast is to help 
people who have struggled with the same things that, you know, my guests have struggled with, the same things that I have struggled with in order to bring hope, you know, to bring hope to people that you can not only survive, but you can create amazing lives out of things that were really super challenging and hard for you. Absolutely. Yeah, that's good. So how, I mean, why don't, I guess you can just dive right in and, and tell us a little bit of, well, tell us about your story. I mean, how you went from growing up in uh, Africa, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where, Cameroon. which country? Cameroon. Cameroon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did, what was your life like as a child? So, I mean, I had what most people consider a normal life. Um, a lot of the times I think people think of Africa and they think of of it as like this third world continent and every part of Africa is like, you know, all, you know, sad and depressing, you know, it's like, no, I had a great life. I had a lot of fun, ran around like a normal child and um, it was really wonderful. Um, I did unfortunately though um, experience abuse at a very young age, um, starting out at a very young age. And so that was the only thing that kind of took away from the joy of my childhood. But other than that, I had an amazing life. We um, traveled a lot. We got to just experience a lot of joys and highs and lows. Um, I would say like at age around nine years old, my mom passed away. So then I ended up being with my dad who was not sorry person. No, it's okay. Yeah. Um, you know, death is, is, is imminent in this life. And I think it's important for us to realize that at some point in time, whether it's us or someone that we love, someone leaves. It's just, how do we cope with that and deal with the, the loss of a person? And so my mom passed away at a very young age and I ended up with my dad who was not a very healthy person. And so, um, you know, that's kind of where my life just takes off a little bit after I was about nine years old. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So what was the transition then with your dad? Yeah. So he got married to a lady and um, they ended up moving to Japan and he was working in journalism at the time and and doing a bunch of other contracting stuff. But um, I ended up, moving to Japan with them and my stepbrothers. And um, unfortunately, while my family looked really, really good on the ins- on the outside, we had a lot of issues at home um, mm-hmm. because my father was an alcoholic and he was a pedophile and unfortunately very abusive, physically abusive. And so um, they ended up getting a divorce. And I remember being in uh, boarding school in Australia and getting a phone call that I needed to leave school because my dad was a, had been arrested and um, I was now being sent back to Japan. So I went to Japan. Um, we left from there, went back to Cameroon. And then um, within a few months, I was in the United States. I'd never really stayed in the U.S. for a period of time. I had visited Hawaii and things like that, but never really stayed there. But I was, my dad trafficked me to a man in Michigan. And I was supposed to call him my uncle, you know, and in the African culture, that's kind of common. And anyone who's your elder is either your aunt or uncle. So I was just like, okay, I'm going to stay with uncle such and such. But little did I know later on that this man had, you know, my dad had literally given me to someone who was not even a family member of ours. And so, um, unfortunately, I went through some abuse while I was in his home. But then I got put in the foster care system. And I always tell people, you would think the foster care system would have been better (laughs) or a a, a refuge, but it wasn't. Unfortunately, I went through 
more abuse in the foster homes that I was in. um, I I was in 13 homes and 12 out of those 13 homes were abusive. Literally every single sexually, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Um, I remember the very first home that I went into, I was raped by one of the foster brothers who was not supposed to be living there. He was over 18. um, And the system. How old were you at the time? I was about 13 years old. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was just, it was just a nightmare. It felt like I was consistently being abused and that the system did not really care about what was happening with me. And And so were you you telling like your caseworker or anything? So when the first incident happened, I did. And we went through the whole court process. It was very long and arduous and it felt very violating. Right. And so um, he barely got time. And so I think I kind of lost hope in the system then. It felt like, well, what's the point of even saying anything if no one's even going to take responsibility? And so I never. Can I stop you right there, Elsa? Because I think a lot of women think that way. A lot of women feel that way. Why should I tell anybody? Because nothing's going to happen. Right. Yep. And I didn't. After that one time, I just kind of stopped saying anything. And so in the other homes that I was in, um, things were just really, really terrible. Um, I remember. Be, after I left that place in Michigan, um, the system allowed me to go back to live with my dad, my same father who trafficked me. What? I know it's absolutely insane. Um, he is a talker. He's very charming. He has, uh-huh. when I say narcissism to a whole other level, that's him. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and unfortunately, the charm allowed the system to like give him back to me or whatever, um, give me back to him. And so um, he continued his abusive you know, patterns. And one of my teachers, a math teacher of mine noticed that I came to school one day with a black eye and she's like, well, what's going on with you? And I was trying to hide things. So, um, she ended up calling, you know, um, Chapatuck like, school. Oh, I, Oh, I fell. Nah. I, and that's, yeah. those, that's kind of the stuff that he'll tell me to say, tell them that you hate yourself. And it's like, I didn't hit myself, you know, like why would I just punch myself in the face? Because I feel like it, you know, Um, but he would always make it out to seem like I just had this mental health issue and I would hurt myself and all these things, but she Mm -hmm. knew better. So I ended up being put in, um, taken by CPS and put in a foster home. And I landed in this home with this very perverted man who would make me and my foster sisters, um, you know, perform sexual acts on him before he gave us you know, our allowance, you know, just things like that. Um, very, very unhealthy homes where one of my other homes, um, the lady's son had just came out of prison and he took his girlfriend hostage and all of us in the entire home and threatened to kill us. So for literally about four hours, we're in the standoff with the police. Imagine all of these children who have already come out of traumatic homes yeah. Now being re-traumatized by people who are saying that they're trying to help children and all these things. It was just a mess. So Let me tell you. sad. It's it so, so sad. You must have been so scared. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like the level of fear that I was under um, in a lot of these situations was unheard of. And um, I developed a lot of anxiety over time because I, I was in so many unpredictable environments that Mm-hmm. I never knew what was going to happen next, you know? So, you, did, you didn't have anybody that you trusted in. Mm-mm. Nope, not at all. So, so how, did you, how did you take care of yourself? How did you try to protect yourself? You know, 
from the beginning, since I was a little girl, um, since I was about three years old, I've always believed in God. And I always had what I would say was my imaginary friend, right? So some people thought this girl's probably insane, but literally God was who kept me sane because I just pretended like I had a friend who understood all my problems and we just talked about it, you know? Mm -hmm. And of course, as a child, I knew it was Jesus, but it was just one of those where I just knew that whatever I was going through, he was always there for me. And so that's really the main way that I kept myself sane, not saying that I really actually did stay okay all the time because, you know, unfortunately I end up in a mental institution, you know, at a young age trying to hurt myself and um, with suicide attempts and stuff like that. But, um, you know, because you have, you have no way to process all this stuff. Exactly. People are just what what sucked was that everyone focused so much on the, the outside behavior. They didn't mm-hmm. really always ask like what's actually happening with her internally. They mm-hmm. just, you know, and it's so sad when, when teachers and family members and, and whatever focus so much on how badly a child is acting out on the outside, but they're not really asking the person, well, what's really happening inside yeah. of them that they are displaying this type of behavior, you know? Yeah, I mean, these are, these, are all, these are all ways that people act out because they don't know how to process what's going on internally, emotionally. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that was me, you know, continuously finding ways to try to harm myself, cutting myself, mm-hmm. um, you know, every single thing that I could possibly do to make sure that I inflicted self-harm because I hated myself so much. I figured, well, if, you know, I'm not worthy enough for my father to even love me enough and for my mom to have protected me before I end up getting sent to him and for my stepmom to have chosen to keep me knowing that my dad was crazy, like, then there's something wrong with me. You know, often we internalize um, the pain that other people put on us instead right. of just realizing that that's, that belongs to them. We take it on and we say, oh, this belongs to me. I'm the problem. This is why they did this to me. And so most of my life, that's how I felt. And so because I felt yeah. that was the problem, I inflicted, inflicted more pain on myself, unfortunately. And, and those really are cries for help is what they are because you don't you know as a as a young child and even so many adults do the same thing you know because we have not had this language to express what's really going on and and because because of the power differentials between the adults and the child you know the child has no way to um really no way to to speak out against the adult you know a, a lot of times when they do they're not believed or you know other people say oh you know you're crazy or you know you're making this up and all of these things and so I, you know i just feel like a big part of your work is to help transform this for people mm-hmm. so how so how did you how did you start helping yourself, you know, going from this place of, um, you know, suicidal attempts and self-harm and feeling so unworthy and, you know, confused and lost and alone? Mm-hmm. How did you pick yourself up and start helping yourself? You know, I can't even say, honestly, that I picked myself up. <laughs> I wish I could say that I did, but I, I'm not sure that I did. Um, I just remember continuously trying to inflict harm on myself to where I reach a point where I 
there was no more harm to inflict. Like I was so dead inside, so far gone mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I needed something outside of me to pick me up. And so I, I always think back on this day right before I started going through my divorce process, but um, I felt just so, I hated this world so much. And I remember writing my final um, goodbye letter and it's like three o'clock in the morning. And my, my two and a half year old son literally walks downstairs. The kid can barely walk. And he walked down three times to tell me that everything was going to be okay. As I'm writing my letter to. Wow. Right. Like he always. Wow. Night that he was not the type of kid that would get up. But I remember thinking back at that moment and I just felt this like power come from me and go, this is not your time. And I felt like the Holy Spirit, God used my son to literally keep me alive um, in that moment. And so, you know, everyone is here on earth for a specific reason. Right. But, and I'm not saying, Oh, my son's here because he was supposed to keep me alive, but we all play a, a just a small little part in each other's lives. Right. And he was, he was it, definitely an earth angel. He really, really was because I mean, he could yeah. barely walk at two years old and he's coming up and down some stairs, walking a distance three times. I'm putting him back to bed and he's coming back down each time. And it was just the strangest thing. And so I remember um, that night after that happened going, Elsa, what the heck are you doing right now? Like you're about to, it doesn't matter if your marriage doesn't work, but you're going to leave a child without a mother. Do you remember what that felt like for you mm. when your mom passed away? That I think was a rude awakening for me. Yeah. Wow. The void that I have been trying to fill since my mom passed away has been so painful. Why would I do that to my child? especially with him being so young. And I think that that was my first awakening that I had. The Mm -hmm. second awakening was going through my divorce process and realizing how much I had lost myself in my marriage, how much I was in in such a toxic relationship, trying to please a man and make everything, you know, about him and us and all these things. But we had zero partnership, zero alignment, no purpose together. Like we were so far off from being compatible, but we just, you know, we're both trying to, we essentially trauma bonded and we're trying to like fill each other's voids in, in our relationship. And I look back and I go, what were you thinking? Even your, 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 your family was like, this is not the right person for you. Don't do it. And because I was still trying to heal that father wound in me and these quote unquote daddy issues, I literally went and picked someone who was very similar to my father, but just in a very covert way. Mm-hmm. And so um, going through my divorce, I realized you've lost yourself and you need to get yourself back. And so I remember being such a vibrant, fun, bubbly person And I needed to get her back. And so that's kind of where my healing process really began. Realizing like God used my son to awaken me. Realizing Mm -hmm. that he used my ex-husband to awaken me. Realizing that um, he used my past and my pain to wake me up to my full potential. So, yeah. So, so how did you transition into becoming a coach? I mean, did you, did you have, did you have a lot of therapy 
I did. Did you do a lot of your own self work? Mm-hmm. So when you're in the foster care system, of course, they have you go to therapy. So I had already started the work back then, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, I stopped for a while because I thought, oh, I'm good. Everything's fine. You know, every, a lot of people, when, when we go to therapy and things start getting better, we're like, oh, things are great. And then you leave the therapist right. and then you come back right. six months later and your whole life is a total disaster. That was me, where mm-hmm. I think everything's fine. But then I come back and it's like things were even worse because I didn't, I was not consistent. So I was doing therapy and being intentional to kind of like focus on my healing. Um, but then I realized, um, I got, I have to share this real quick. So, um, this is when I was still married right before I actually started going through my divorce process, but I started seeing a therapist because I just, I received a letter from my dad. Um, I had posted at the end of 2010 saying, I forgive anyone who's ever hurt me, you know? And one of my aunts is like, that's a big, that's a tall order. It was a tall order. Right. So I posted that. And when my aunt is like, oh, I can't wait for you and your dad to reconnect with each other now that you're, you forgive everyone who's ever hurt you. So I let my father back into my life. I had not seen him in nine years and I let wow. him back into my life. It was one of the biggest mistakes that I had ever made. He came in doing exactly what he always did, being the knight in shining armor, taking me on trips, paying for all these things, giving me this quote unquote lavish life. And it blinded me to a lot of things until one day we are, um, we were going to on a wine tour in California. A young lady who looked around my age in there and I'm going, who is she and why is she here? Like, we don't even know this girl. There's some childhood friends of mine, but I'm like, why is this girl here? Later on, I find out that he had hired this girl as a prostitute for the week to entertain him. She was my same age. And I was just like, this man has not changed Changed. at all. And so I try to confront him about it. And I remember him going off on me. He yelled at me so bad. And it was so reminiscent of my childhood. The only difference was that I was a grown ass woman and he was not going to put his hands on me because Mm -hmm. in the past, if I even raised my voice the slightest bit, I'd be on the floor in a heartbeat. So he wow. couldn't hit me that time. Right. And so we yelled at each other for hours and it was the worst that I've ever argument that I've ever gotten, gotten in with a person. And I realized like this man is still as psychotic as ever. And he does not need to be a part of my life. And so, and, and that was the first time that you had ever stood up to him. That was the very first time I ever stood up to him. Yep. How old were you? I was, I believe, 24, maybe. It was, yeah, the first time I had ever, like, spoken back to my dad. (laughs) Like, that was a big deal. And I remember seeing the evil in his eyes. Like, if my ex-husband was not there, he would have probably killed me. Like, literally. It was so, so scary to watch because, like, it it was just, it was really, it was very scary. But Um, I remember that happening and then me going, me having the guts to tell him, I need you to leave our house because he was visiting and staying at our house at that time. And I said, I need you to leave our house. But um, he left and then I didn't see him. I haven't seen him ever since because I, I knew that this person can no longer be a part of my life. But I say all that to say this, um, during the time I was going to therapy. Right. And unfortunately, um, my therapist said, if your dad ever apologizes to you and tells you that he wants to go to therapy, then you know that he's changed because most narcissists would not do that. 
Right. And of course, the very first day that I reunite with him after not seeing him for nine years, what does he say? Elsa, I am so sorry for everything I've ever done to you. We need to go to therapy. We need to rebuild our family. Things need to be better. What, what little girl or even a grown woman would not be like, oh my God, these are all the words my therapist right. said. And I welcomed him into my life forgetting all of the red flags that I needed to look for to make sure he had actually changed. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I was, I was able to not only leave him, let him into my life, but allow him to essentially, you know, um, verbally abuse me again. And so it was really, really, really awful. And, um, yeah, so that, that's a part of, um, me reconnecting with my dad and allowing him to come back into my life and seeing how that damaged me a lot. So, yeah. It's like, until they actually do the work. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, this is what people in Al-Anon say. This is what, you know, it's like boundaries. It's like, you can promise me till the cows come home, but until I actually see any changes, until I actually, until you prove to me that you've changed, Mm -hmm. you're out. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I had not given him time to actually prove that he had changed. Like Mm -hmm. I was just going, there was this part of me that had forgiven, but I just went off of what my therapist said. My therapist didn't give me things to actually look for to test that a person's actually changed. Hey, if they say that they've, you know, they, they're sorry and they want to go to therapy. That's the truth you're looking for. That's why it's so important to get a good therapist. <laughs> Actions speak louder than words, people. It sure do. Let people give you time to see that they have actually worked on themselves before you allow yourself back into their lives or you'll be in the toxic cycle that you were in before. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because people can just, you know, tell you what they know that you want to hear. Exactly. Right. In order to manipulate themselves back in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So after you, so after you cut that boundary off, mm-hmm. I mean, after you set I, that boundary, like. Yeah, I set that boundary and then my marriage fell apart <laughs> because my ex-husband was like, you should have never let your dad back in your life. What were you thinking? You know, and then we went back and forth. I blamed him. He blamed me. Um, and then, you know, some other things happened, but we were just honestly never compatible. And so when we went through our divorce, which was extremely messy, because often when you're going through divorce, you're really focusing on either the child or on material, you know, like assets and things like that. And so for a while, mm-hmm. we focused so much on who's going to keep the house, who's going to keep the cars, blah, 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 blah. And after a while, I was like, I'm not fighting for this stuff anymore. Like, I, I don't care. Like, yeah. just off. get me out. Get Let me, me out. This horrible marriage. And so um, when I finally got out of my marriage, I remember looking at myself and going, who the heck are you? Mm-hmm. Like, who have you become? And it was then that I realized like I needed to get a lot of help. And I went through therapy again um, and then started going through like a spiritual healing process. Um, Mm -hmm. And when I say every single thing that I could get, I went and got because I just wanted to heal so bad. I just wanted to have one night without any depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. Like, so I did whatever I could to make sure 
that I was in a place where I was actually healing. And so, yeah, I was going to say like one night of peace, you probably had never experienced peace mm -hmm. in your life. I hadn't. And it's so crazy because peace is actually the number one thing that I pursue now when I'm making mm -hmm. a purchase, when I meet a person, anything, it's like, mm, do you feel at peace with them, Elsa? Like, does this feel peaceful to you? Because I never knew what peace felt like. And when yeah. I felt peace for the first time in my life, I was like, mm, this is the feeling that I need to feel every single time to make sure that everything's okay. And that's when, since I've done that. What was that? What was that time when you felt that peace for the first time? The first time I felt peace was actually at this women's conference. It was a pink impact women's conference. And um, I remember sitting in the back of the room, trying to be away from everybody, you know, and I just remember crying so hard. Like, have you ever had that, those, that cry that you just, it's like, <gasps> like you can't breathe type of Many, cry. many times, many times. Yeah. I'm like, that was me. I could not stop crying. And I just remember going, I just want you to love me, God. Like, why don't you just love me? You know, because part of me believed that because he didn't love me, that's why I was going through all these things. Clearly, I'm the, the litter. Like, you're just like, have your way. You know, like, you clearly don't care about me. And so I was begging him to just love me. And I remember seeing the most beautiful, bright light. When I say, like, white, white as white as white as pure light can be. I felt this light coming in and there were all these interchanging pictures in it, mosaic images of different things, animals and humans. And just, it was just the most beautiful thing. And I just remember hearing this voice telling me that like, I love you daughter. I love you, my beloved. And I was just like, what, you know? And I just remember receiving it in that moment. And every single thing, as far as like a father wound was concerned or some sort of void that I had for my father instantaneously was gone. I know it sounds crazy. Wow. But that's how it happened for me. I received this supernatural amount of love that I never thought I could ever experience in my entire life. Until this day, I still remember what it feels like. And I remember walking out of that conference room and there was a painting that this couple had done literally of one of the images that I had seen. And I went, oh, it looked, it was the exact same thing. I'd never seen this painting before, but wow. I like, I need to buy this painting, you know, like, and so I did. And it was just, just the craziest thing ever. But since then, I have been able to walk in a measure of love that I never thought I could ever experience in my entire life. I think, I think so many people struggle with that, Elsa. So many people carry this sense of I'm not worthy of love because other people have been shitty to me. Mm -hmm. So that must mean that something's the matter with me as opposed to the, you know, the stuff that's not working is in them. Right. <laughs> it's not it's not about me. It's that they were, you know, taking out their own unresolved wounds mm -hmm. because they didn't know how to process them themselves. And so they project it onto everybody else around them because mm -hmm. they don't know what to do with it. 
Right. So to so to come to this place of recognition that um, you know when you said you are my beloved, mm-hmm. you've always been my beloved, mm-hmm. and yet you've had all of these experiences that have made you doubt that truth. Right. right? So right. it's like we we come from love. And then we have lots of experiences in our life that make us question and doubt that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I feel like much of our journey is about remembering that truth. That we are worthy of love, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no matter what shit we've been through, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so how to like release that hold that the past, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of people hang on to it like a it's I don't want to it's like this label you know it's like this you're just tying your identity to all the shit that other people did Mm -hmm. right and so how do you create a new sense of identity for yourself how do you create this sense of I am worthy of love and I have a good heart and I'm a good person and you know I'm here to you know to be kind and connect with other people. Mm-hmm. So how how did you after you had that sense of peace mm-hmm. and and wholeness, you know, how did you then go on to create more and a, and a new identity for yourself? Yeah, I I began to actually live as the person that I was created to be initially. No longer living as the false version of myself. And what that means is that um I stopped pretending. Pretending what? Because I remember even in my marriage, everyone was just like, oh my God, y'all are just such a cute couple. You guys are amazing. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, we literally just argued like five minutes ago. (laughs) I wanted to choke him to death. Like, what are you talking about? And I just- Been there, done that. Right. You know, I started being very intentional about my emotions and being more vulnerable and authentic. I, I believe that me being authentic with about my feelings, my thoughts, my emotions um, allowed me to truly be able to, um, I don't know, like love people the way I should love them and to even love myself and not feel as though I have to pretend to be anything other than who I was created to be. You know, um, I wasn't trying to put up uh, some sort of front for my ex-husband or for friends or family. It was like, Elsa, for once, you get to actually do the things that you love, that mm-hmm. you enjoy, be around the people that you love, the people that you enjoy, and not feel some sort of obligation to others, but more or less feeling obligated to yourself and to loving you and to honoring yourself and to giving yourself all of those things that were never given to you. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how it started. Me loving myself and me giving myself permission to do some of the things that I never would have done because everybody else told me what I had to do, right? Mm-hmm. And who I was and all of that. But yeah. It's like living, trying to live our lives based on other people's expectations of who they want us to be. As right. opposed to, well, what's, what, what do I want? Mm-hmm. When, you know, how often do we ask, what do I want? 
because we're, you know, looking to external things to fill us up, you know, when we feel empty as opposed to filling ourselves up. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's been, it's just been such a wonderful, wonderful journey. And in me being able to sort of um, pay attention to my needs again, and then really inviting people who I know um, love and truly care about me, I have then been able to give back to others, right? Through Mm -hmm. coaching and counseling. That's what I've been able to do because at the end of the day, I see too many wounded, you know, helpers or wounded warriors, like where we're trying to help other people, but we are literally bleeding on them. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, you know what happens when you've got blood that is contagious, like you end up catching something. Right. And so I look at it that way. Like I used to be the person who would try to help people out of my deficiencies. But when I began to really go through my healing journey and be more in a place of wholeness, I was able to actually help people from an overflow of like being healthy and being like fully known and fully loved by myself. And of course, by God. Right. And so, um, I could then make the choice to go and coach and counsel people versus just going and seeking justice because I need to become a lawyer, which is my original path was I'm going to go to school and become a lawyer and prosecute all these horrible men and people who do these bad things. Mm -hmm. No, my true self was a helper, was a counselor, Mm -hmm. was someone Mm -hmm. who is a guide, a a guide, intuitive guide to other people. And so had Mm -hmm. I not gotten the healing that I did, I would still be out there living the false version of myself who was trying to take back power in a world that's not going to give it to you. So, well, and, and power is not about, you know, anybody else giving it to you. It's an internal thing, right? It's, it, it's just like love. Um, You can seek love all outside of, of you, but if you're feeling empty of love, doesn't matter how much other people pour on you. If you're not feeling it it within yourself, Um, you know, so this is, this is about filling our own cups and really coming into, like you said, alignment with who we really are. We're, we're all um, full of love (laughs) if we acknowledge it. And, and I think too, I mean, I was going to ask you about your son, you know, how has, how has your son helped you recognize your own love? You know, he's the, I, I don't personally believe that we as humans are capable of unconditional love. So that's one thing. <laughs> I just don't think that we are. We're too selfish for that. But he has helped me learn how to love someone as close to unconditional as possible. Mm-hmm. And because I care about him so much, um, m- what I do in my life mirrors what how things would affect him essentially. So I make my decisions thinking, well, what is my son's legacy going to be like if I do this right now? Mm. Meaning I don't just date whoever I want to date because, well, how is that going to affect my child? You know, like, right. So he's, he's always on my mind. um, And I'm thinking, look at what my family went through and the things that the decisions that they made because of bad relationship choices and because of bad, whatever decisions that they'd made and look at how much I was affected by it. Mm -hmm. If I can avoid it, I don't want my son to go through some of the same things. So 
I take the time to make sure to not allow some of that stuff to happen. But he helps me honestly to remain grounded. He helps me to just see life from a more simplistic place. Mm-hmm. He's such a calm kid, like literally so calm. And, peace, um, peace. Yes, he is. He is at peace with himself and truly just loves, 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 loves the world. So it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and so you, you have basically created a family for yourself because Absolutely. the family that you had doesn't really exist. Exactly. And, you know, that's probably, if there's one thing that I sort of um, tend to sort of grieve about in my life, it would be that. Because part of me is such a family-oriented person. However, the very thing that I want is the thing that seems to elude me so much, right? Mm-hmm. And you it, didn't it, have grandparents. You didn't have grandparents no, growing my up. Or passed away at a very you know young age. My grandmother decided she never wanted to leave. You know, my birth country. Uh, my mom's. Uh, dad was you know polygamous because you know that's acceptable back there um and so i never got to meet him and he passed away like six years ago um that i i found out um my mom's mother was one of his many wives i never got to meet her you know so i don't i don't even know who my my grandparents are other than my paternal mom you know my, my grandmother and so um yeah, I know my aunts and uncles, but my dad is a patriarch of that family and he f- essentially feeds people financially. So it's almost like because I have spoken up against him, everyone kind of has, you know, pushed me to the side. So which is fine, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's because they don't want to go. They don't want to go against the patriarchal head exactly. of the yeah, family. Uh-huh. It, it's crazy, but. So, so be- how, have, how have you created a family for yourself? You know, because a lot of times our family mm-hmm. by blood is not our soul family. It isn't. Mm-mm. It sure isn't. Um, I have created a family um, by through church, through um, friendships that I have made with people at work, um, explaining, like being intentional with people knowing that like, when you come into my space and I truly invite and let you in, it's, that's a big deal. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. because I've had so much wounding and trauma when it relational wounding and trauma that when I let a person fully in, it's, it's, it means a lot. And so it's like handle it with care, all the, all the things, but it's really just been through communities and friends that I knew maybe way back in high school and, um, and things like that, where we stay in touch just a little bit. Um, I'm not one of those who's like, let's talk every day, you know, type of, that's just not me. It's like, you know, that I care about you, but I'm not going to reach out to you every single day. But, um, but yeah, that's how I've been able to kind of create a family, um, through my, my immediate community and through churches and, and things like that. So, yeah. And so you have a lot of love surrounding you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's such a huge blessing because I, I need it. (laughs) I definitely need it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for your son too, you know, to have the support because I, I mean, I can't imagine, I have a very intact family and extended family. um, So I don't, 
I mean, I, I still have had struggled with issues of feeling abandoned in various ways in my life and, and feeling lonely or, or lost. Um, but you have really overcome so much, Elsa. Like, I, you know, I've just heard bits and pieces of your story, you know, in our rooms before. Yeah. Um, but I really honor you and your journey and how much you have overcome and what a beautiful, still you're, you have a beautiful, big giving heart, mm-hmm. you know, from all that you've been through, you could have shut down and withdrawn and, you know, stayed away, but you still found a way to find the love within you mm-hmm. and share it. And it's yeah. really a gift. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I appreciate you saying that. Um, you know, there are times when I did shut down. There are times when I did try to essentially escape from this world. But what I love is just that that still small voice that reminds us of like why we're supposed to be here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that the times that I've shut down have never been for long. The times that I've tried to push away from the world have never been for long. Because mm-hmm. there is that constant reminder, like Elsa, no, you love connecting. You love people. Yeah. You love being able to be in positive atmospheres and creating them. Yeah. Why would you leave this earth, right? And so um, I just feel like that voice has been a constant reminder, like, no, you belong here. I love when Brene Brown talks about like belonging everywhere but not belonging anywhere you know um like in the need for belonging and that's kind of how i i am where i feel like i can almost morph into any group that i go into but then i almost don't fit into any one of the groups that i'm in um, i feel the same way mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but there's that deep need to belong somewhere right and so um i'm just grateful honestly that i'm still alive and that I'm Thank saying. you, Earth Angel, son of right. yours. Listen, listen, listen. I'm just grateful that that I'm still alive because statistics for a trafficked, prostituted, you know, uh, <laughs> a woman from from West Africa, foster child, you know, raped and molested, and divorced. Like I should be homeless in the streets on drugs, but I'm not. That's grace. That's grace. That's grace. And you are a beautiful example of grace and love and peace. So thank you. It is my pleasure. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, the, so the last question that I ask my guests is, how do you define real love? I define real love by the ability to repurpose every single thing that comes to you that seems adverse. And being able to see your partner's like perspective. That's real love for me. Your partner as in partner as in who partner? Like your partner, your, your love, like your husband, wife, or your child, whoever you're in partnership with, like Mm. um, real love is seeing other people's perspective and being able to like repurpose anything that seems adverse in a situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So how do people get in touch with you if they want to find out more about you and your work? Well, they can go to my website um, at elsachristie.com. 
E-L-S-A-C-H-R-I-S-T-I-E. They can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at I am Elsa Christie. Um, and then, of course, um, the private practice that I'm working at is Intentional Counseling, which is in Frisco, Texas. So, yeah. Mm, beautiful. Beautiful. So, um, I mean, my the end of my podcast the mantra that I have for my podcast is the most important relationship you'll ever have is the one you have with yourself. Mm -hmm. And you are a testimony to that truth. So thank you so much for being here. It's been an honor and a privilege and a gift, not only to have you here, but to show up with you every week on Clubhouse. It's been so much fun. We've had a lot of fun. We sure have. And I can't wait for tonight and the nights to come because you always have good input to give. You always offer such good care, like that beautiful, motherly, friendly love that makes everyone seen and heard. And so I appreciate mm. you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. So share the love. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so if anybody wants to uh, find out more information about me, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at The Awakening with Dawn. I'm on Clubhouse with Elsa, having lots of com- conversations, beautiful conversations about how to heal and bring more love into the world. And um, subscribe to the Wake Up to Real Love podcast. And if you feel like this conversation would benefit anybody that you know. Please share it and write reviews so that we can spread more love and more real love into the world. Yes, absolutely. So thank you so much, Elsa, for being with me. And um, I look forward to many, many more conversations. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. All right. Listeners, every day, wake up to more and more real love. We'll see you next time. Bye. Subscribe to the Wake Up To Real Love podcast, leave five-star reviews, and of course, share with your friends. You can find Dawn on various social media platforms at Dawn Richard or at The Awakening with Dawn.